Pope John Paul I, who was Pope for 30 days in 1978. Some of you may remember that year in which there was three popes in one year. Told this story in one of his uh, audiences that he gave uh, to the people on September 13th, 1978. He told this story. He said, last century, there was in France a great professor, Frederick Ozanam. He taught at the Sorbonne and was so eloquent, so capable. His friend, La Cordare, said, he is so gifted, he is so good, he will become a priest. He will become a great bishop, this fellow. But no, he met a nice girl and they got married. La Cordare was disappointed and said, poor Ozanam, he too has fallen into the trap. But two years later, La Cordare came to Rome and was received by Pius, Pope Pius IX. Come, come, Father, the Pope said. I have always heard that Jesus established seven sacraments. Now you come along and change everything. You tell me that he established six sacraments and a trap. No, Father, marriage is not a trap. It is a great sacrament. Found that story this morning. I thought it was hilarious. Thought I'd share it. <laughs> Marriage is not a trap. Marriage is actually the identity and the foundation of who we are as Catholics. So when we hear in our first reading today the story of marriage, the story of creation, the story of Adam and Eve, and the marriage of husband and wife in this context, we ought to be looking throughout the rest of the story, the rest of the Bible, what is God intending for this marriage? But what we actually begin to find is that God does intend marriage between man and woman in this human union, but actually he's creating something much bigger. And this union of man and woman that he, that he creates in the beginning in Genesis chapter two, one and two is actually an icon or an image of the marriage that we are called to in eternal life. So that when we go to the very last book of the Bible, when we go to the book of Revelation and the second to last chapter in chapter 21, we hear, we hear there, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we hear this, this bride and groom story all the way in the book of Revelation. And we hear about the wedding feast in, the, in Revelation chapter 19. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is this wedding that God is talking about? What is this wedding that the book of Revelation is speaking about? And what is human marriage actually speaking to? What we find is that the wedding that God is speaking about, the wedding that Revelation is actually speaking about, is this wedding of Christ and the church. This union of Christ and His church. So that when we enter into the book of Revelation, we begin to study it, we begin to see all of these themes and all of these things directed what sounds like what we do here on Sundays at the Holy Mass. We hear about people bowing down and offering bowls of incense with the prayers of the faithful. We hear the angels crying out, Holy, 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 Lord, God of hosts. We hear all of these things as they're gathered around this altar and it's speaking about the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
the lamb who has been sacrificed, the lamb whom we say in the, in the mass here, right before we enter up to communion, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the wedding feast of the lamb. And all marriage that we hear about in scripture is meant to be an icon of the eternal wedding feast that we are all invited to and participate in, in the Holy Mass. And just like the consummation of marriage comes on the wedding night of husband and wife, the consummation, the union of Christ to his church is that Holy Communion when we become united with him in Holy Communion. This love that God pours out for us in the beginning that we see in the book of Genesis and we see all throughout the scriptures ends in this union of his people, the church, with Christ himself, with God in eternal life. And so what we begin to see is that we are called to be in heaven and we are called to be in union with our God. And so as this marriage that God creates, this union of man and woman in this life in the book of Genesis, what he creates is this icon or this image. And so we begin to ask ourselves, what is this meant to look like? What is marriage meant to look like? Because we see immediately then in chapter 3, how man and woman fall. And we see that this harmony that is created between man and woman is destroyed by sin. And as it is destroyed by sin, we begin to see all of these faults and all of this misuse of marriage begin to begin to begin to ruin marriage throughout all of history. All of scripture over and over and over. We hear this. We hear this destruction of marriage. And even in our lives today, even in the culture today, we have people wanting to redefine what marriage is. We have people wanting to just say that marriage is just not permanent, but it's just a social construct. We have people wanting to say that it's just merely a contract between a man and a woman or between two people or two things. They're even denigrating it so low that they're even saying that you can marry an animal or something else. So what is marriage actually meant to be? When we begin to look at marriage and we begin to see the permanent and the actual marriage of Christ and his church, we begin that we begin to see that the love that he pours out for the church is actually free, it's faithful, it's fruitful, and it's total. We see that this love that God has for the church is free because when God creates what he is doing is he's using his free will, this free will that exists in who God is, and this love that he has within himself, within God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, begins to overflow, and it begins to create. And God loves so much, and he freely loves so much, that he pours himself out, and he has creation created. And so when this, when, if we are meant to image this love that God has for us, man and woman are meant to freely choose to freely give of themselves as a gift to the other person. When they begin to recognize that they have an attraction towards the other person, they freely choose to ask them out 
They freely choose to enter into a union, a marriage with them. And they freely choose for the duration of that marriage to love them forever, no matter what. But they have to possess themselves to freely give themselves. In order to possess ourselves, we must grow in virtue. We must know the good and be able to fulfill that good within us. To freely possess ourselves, to give ourselves away, and to receive the gift of the other person. The love of God is faithful. It's permanent. Meaning that there is no love for anyone else. God pours Himself out in love for us, and He loves each of us as individuals. He loves us so much that He dies on the cross for us. And this cross in which He dies upon for us pours Himself out, and He is faithful all the way to the end. And in eternity, He continues to pour Himself out in love. This, this love is faithful. It doesn't matter what we do. He will continue to love us. It's us who fall away from His love. It's us who chose to love ourselves more than we love Him. It's us who love material things more than we love Him. And so it's us who fall away from the love that God has for us. There's that famous passage from St. Paul in Romans that says, what can separate us from the love of God? And St. Paul goes through this list of spiritual things that cannot separate us from the love of God. But doesn't talk about the sins that can separate us from the love of God. Not God's love for us, but our love for Him. Thirdly, this love is fruitful. We see that in His free and faithful choice to love, that it begins to be fruitful. This love within God Himself begins to create. And it creates us. So that when man and woman choose to love one another, that love is also meant to be fruitful. It's meant to bring life into the world. And so the proper ends of marriage are what we call the procreative end and the unitive end. The procreation and education of children is the proper end of marriage. This union of husband and wife is the proper end of marriage. The good that God has created it for. So when life comes into the world, it is a phenomenal blessing that God gives to you who are married. To bring that life into the world in which God creates a soul, a specific soul for that child, so that you participate in the creation that God brings into the world. God's creation is not done. God's creation continues as we bring more life into the world. And what a tremendous gift that is for every single life that enters the world. From conception to natural death. It is all good. It all has the dignity that God gives it. And we are meant to protect that life that God brings into the world. Whether it comes into a life in a, in a proper marriage or outside of marriage. All life is good. And finally, the love that God has for us is total. We see as He pours Himself out, He holds nothing back. Many of the saints say that one drop of Christ's blood would have been enough for our salvation. But Christ who took on our flesh didn't just stop at one, one drop of blood for our salvation. He goes to the cross 
And he pours it all out. Every drop of his blood is poured out for us. It's a 100% gift of self for us. So that marriage, it's meant to resemble that love that God has for us. Husband and wife are meant to, as they freely possess themselves, pour themselves out, not just a little bit, but to give of themselves fully to each other. Any time that there is a holding back of that love of one for the other, it begins to break down the marriage. Any time that there is a choice that is purely selfish, it begins to break down that marriage because it's not a gift of self. It's a gift to myself and not a gift to the other. And the more that we pour ourselves out, the more that we begin to resemble that love that God has for us. It is only in that love that God has for us and the way that we live that out that we can fully fulfill what marriage is meant to be. See, God establishes marriage as a sacrament in order to pour divine life into your lives so that you can live out this covenant, to live out this tremendous gift that He gives to us. He raises marriage to a sacrament because He recognizes the good that this love is, the good that this union of man and woman is, because it symbolizes and models the love that God has for us. God doesn't create marriage and then say, well, my love is like marriage. God loves. And then marriage is meant to model that love that God has. And so we need that divine grace in order to live out this kind of love that God has for us. But the thing that ultimately makes marriage last is that sacrifice. When we, when we look at the love that we have just spoken of, this free, faithful, fruitful, and total love, we recognize that it requires sacrifice. From the moment we choose to love this one person and no one else, that is a sacrifice we make to say, I will love you forever, and I will love no one else like I love you. That's the sacrifice we make. We begin that sacrifice on our wedding day. And we continue to make the sacrifices to make that marriage work and to make that marriage last for all of eternity until death do us part. But it's that sacrifice that Christ has for us in which He pours His blood out for us that we recognize that it is through sacrifice that we are brought into eternal life. We hear in our second reading today from Ephesians, excuse me, from Hebrews, for it is fitting that he for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. There will be suffering, my brothers and sisters. There is no way that we can get out of this life without suffering. We can either ignore that suffering and put that suffering off, or we can take that suffering that happens in our lives we can offer it to Christ on the cross, unite it to Christ on the cross, to give it life. And that suffering that comes in marriage, that sacrifice that we have to make in marriage, we offer it to Christ on the cross. And that love between husband and wife begins to model that love as they pour, pour themselves out for one another and fulfill but God lives in eternity. 
And as we live out this vocation in this life, we model what God is doing so that when we make it to eternal life, we already know what to expect. This love that is free, faithful, total, and fruitful that God has for us.